0: Well, I wanted to do something today a little bit different. I want to repeat what I did last week. Now, not, not the whole sermon, uh, but, but at least the opening. I, I, I kind of want to start the same way today that I began last week. I want you to think for a moment about a big event in your life. A, a big moment, uh, maybe it was a decision, maybe it was a wedding day, maybe it was an interview, uh, maybe it was a big purchase that you were going to make, but, but what was a big moment, one of the really big moments in your life? You got it in your mind? Can, can you call one out, at least top ten? Now what I want you to do is think about what were you thinking about the night before that? Th- the night before that big moment, what were, you, what were you thinking about? What were you praying about? Last week we began a study of of John chapter 17. This chapter that's 26 verses long, the entire chapter is a prayer. And the prayer takes place in the upper room the night before the cross. I think we could say a pretty big moment in the life of Christ. And so in this prayer we get a chance to see what Jesus was thinking about the night before. What was important to him? What was on his mind the night before this big moment? You know, if you'll think about it, if, if, if you can remember a big moment, and if you can remember what was going on the night before, you know, it's kind of a self-centered moment, isn't it? Now, and I don't mean that as an accusation or in a way of shaming. Normally, self-centered is not a positive word. But in this case, it's just kind of a reality, isn't it? The, the night before a really big event, the night before a big moment, we're thinking about ourselves, Man, how's that going to turn out for me tomorrow? What am I going to look like? What are people going to think? Is, is that going to work out the way I want? We're thinking a lot about how that moment is going to affect or impact our lives. Now, as we look at the night before in Christ's life, was that what he was thinking about? Was he thinking about whether he was going to be accepted or what people were going to do or if it was going to hurt? Was he thinking about himself? Well, we saw last week the answer to that is, is no, he really wasn't. As a matter of fact, as he was looking at that moment, as he was praying about that moment, the big prayer on his mind was, God, may you be seen. God, may you be worshipped in that moment. And do you know that when he was praying about that, would you believe that right there? God being seen and God being worshipped. That's the answer of all prayer requests. Believe it or not, when you're praying about your bills or a situation in your marriage or a, a decision that you have to make or a problem that you're going to deal with this week and you're praying about that, folks, ultimately the answer to that prayer is that God be seen and God be worshipped. And you think, how? <laughs> I'm not connecting the dots there. How How is that the answer when I'm praying about God, I really need help paying this bill? How, how's that the answer? Well, I, I'm using a particular verse to kind of to get there. I'm saying there's something that is bigger that is going on. Hebrews chapter nine, verse 27,' a verse I use a, a lot, and I, and I think expresses this so well. And it says there, "And just as it is appointed for people to die once, and then after that, the judgment." Folks, every person in this room is moving toward an appointment. We are all moving toward that day. And and on the other side of that appointment is two destinations. Only two destinations. And those two destinations are eternal. You are going to go into an eternal heaven or you're going to go into an eternal hell. And I just can't help but imagine that as you're standing there looking out at a sea of eternity, all of a sudden what has gone on in the temporary starts to become insignificant. Jesus said it this way. He said Matthew 25, 46, that some are going to go into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And so we start to imagine all the things that we're praying about and thinking about, whether tomorrow's a big moment or not, maybe just as a regular moment. But, but we're thinking and we're praying about all these things. Here, here's the point that I'm trying to make. It is my opinion, and that, that may be all it is, But it's my opinion that all of these things that seem so big to us, so overwhelming to us, the things that drive us to our knees in prayer, the the things that make us say, God, you got to do something here, that there is going to become a moment when it becomes incredibly irrelevant. Why would it become irrelevant? I, I just think, again, as you're looking out at a sea of eternity and you look back on this little blip that we call life. Now, it doesn't feel like a blip right now, does it? But when you're looking out at a sea of eternity, I'm going to suggest that whether I walked on this earth 8 days, 8 years, or 88 years, is going to become irrelevant when you're looking out at eternity. Whether I walk through this life healthy or sick is going to become irrelevant. Whether I walk through this life with all the money in the world or just scrapping out for every single dollar is going to become irrelevant. All of these things are going to become irrelevant as we're looking out at a sea of eternity. Eternity is a bigger issue. Jesus has eternity in mind. He's praying about the bigger thing. He has your appointment in mind. And folks, it is this concentration on eternity because it becomes a little bit about more than prayer. Because as he is focused in prayer, as he's focused in his mind on eternity, that is kind of what equips him, enables him, strengthens him to take on the temporary. To take on this moment that he's about to walk through. And as he's seeing the eternity, you know what? It kind of becomes irrelevant whether the leaders accept him or not. It it kind of becomes irrelevant whether people are going to appreciate him for who he is or or who he's not. It, It becomes irrelevant whether it's going to hurt I'm not saying it's not significant. I'm not saying that's not important to us. I'm saying that when we see how big eternity is and we start living in light of where we're going, that seems to not be so big anymore. Folks, we've got a whole big week in front of us, don't we? And I would imagine some of us, man, we're going to have some huge victories in this week. And some of us might have some really big failures coming this week. Most of us probably are going to be somewhere in between that. But it's all going to Pass whether this week is going to be the greatest week of your life or the worst week of your life, it's going to pass. Eternity doesn't pass. Eternity is forever. And it's in that light that Jesus is praying. Let's look and see how He continues to pray this week. Turn with me to John chapter 17. John 17. If you don't have a Bible with you, we've got some in the chairs in front of you. If it's not one right in front of you, it's somewhere on the road there. Point one out and somebody will hand it to you. If you can't reach it, John chapter 17, fourth book into the New Testament, right after Mark and Luke you get to Acts and Romans, you've gone too far. John chapter 17, now we're looking at verses two to five, but let's go ahead and pick up verse one as a review, shouldn't we? It's just one verse. Let's do that. John chapter 17, look at verse one, Jesus spoke these things, looked up to heaven and said, Father, the "...the hour has come. Glorify your Son, so that the Son may glorify you. For you gave Him authority over all flesh, so He may give eternal life to all you have given Him." This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and the One you have sent, Jesus Christ." I have glorified you on the earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. Now, again, last week we looked at that at that first verse. And as Jesus is looking out at this pretty big moment that's about to come, he's praying, God, I I pray you'll shine the light on me so that when people are looking at me, they see you. Help me to shine the the light on you. God, as I walk through a betrayal, as I walk through a rest, as I walk through a beating, a scourging, and ultimately my death, as I walk through that moment, may I handle that in a way. May I do that in a way that people see you and and people are worshipped. And as we look at verses 2 through 5, Jesus is continuing in that same vein. The the prayer has not changed. Now, when we come back next week and we look at verse 6 and following, the prayer starts to change a little bit. He starts to go into another direction. But today, He's just continuing in what He's already praying about in verse 1. He's praying about God being seen, God being glorified, and He begins to pray about how that's going to happen. And he starts to say, ultimately, that glory is going to come when I express the authority that you've given me. The authority to give eternal life. You know, authority is specific at times. Authority has boundaries at times. You know, know, a Chesterfield police officer has the authority to put a radar on your car and stop you for speeding, doesn't he? He can stop you out here and say, Hey, you were speeding and I have the authority to give you a ticket for that. Now, a Chesterville police officer does not have the authority to set that radar up down here south of the creek, does he? He can't go down there. He doesn't have the authority to do it on the other side of the creek. A Colonial Heights police officer has the authority to do that. So there's a place where authority has a boundary. Over here, the authority, over there, not the authority. And you know, if you think about it, we spend a lot of our time checking the boundaries of authority, don't we? You ever gone to a supervisor or a boss and said, Does that guy have the authority to be questioning me? Does he have the authority to be telling me what to do? We don't like that. I want to know the boundaries. Or or maybe have you ever had a conversation like this? Can I talk to somebody in authority? Can I talk to somebody that can make a decision up there? You see, amen, We, we this week. <laughs> I mean, see, that's a place where we're actually hoping the, the we need a broader boundary. We need somebody with bigger authority. Yeah, authority has boundaries. Authority can be specific to certain things. Now, when we talk about God, when we talk about the person of Christ, His authority is limitless. But in that limitless authority, this passage right here is speaking to a very specific authority. Jesus has the authority to give you eternal life. Now, if you think about it, folks, we spend a lot of our time questioning authority. But why would we question that authority? We wouldn't question that authority, would we? But you know who would? Satan would. Satan would. Satan will question Jesus' authority to give you eternal eternal life he'll do that because he's a, an accuser he'll do that because he is a condemner and so when jesus goes to give you eternal life satan's gonna say whoa whoa, whoa, whoa wait, wait time out wait a minute you know i got a list here have you seen the number of lies have you seen the greed have you seen the lust look at all the selfishness hey lord look at all these places right here never once did he say thank you not once. No gratitude at all. As a matter of fact, look at these down here. I've, I've taken the uh, opportunity to highlight these in red so you can see them, Lord. These are all the places. Not only did He not say thank you, He actually took credit for it. He act- look at right here. He actually he acted like it was His wisdom and power that produced this. No, 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 no. You do not have the authority to give Him eternal life. No, no, no. You can't do that. And Jesus stepped up and show His authority. I have the authority to give them eternal life. I have the authority to go to the cross and to make a satisfactory payment for all of those sins that you rightly... It's the one place Satan's going to tell the truth. It's the one place Satan's going to be right. He will rightly condemn you. He will rightly show God all the sins in your life. But Jesus will show His authority to go to the cross and to make a payment for every single one of those sins. Jesus will show His authority to grant you forgiveness in a way that meets the demands of justice and holiness. Jesus has the authority to give you eternal life. Well, folks, when you start to understand that, you realize that in no way, shape, or form was the cross a loss for God. God's victory, God's authority is being expressed at the cross. And it's to give you eternal life. Now, what is eternal life? And you know, we think about eternal life. You know, we ask very important questions like, is my, is my dog going to be with me in eternal life? I, I, I'm, I'm hoping Buddy will. He's a great dog. Well, Winnie too. Yeah. Both of them. You know, am I going to get to eat this in heaven? Will I have this in heaven? We always wonder, am I going to have wings in heaven? Like, you know, all of a sudden wings makes everything right and good. You know, what are we going to do in heaven? And we imagine these things. Now, folks, the interesting thing about these questions, you you realize there's kind of a negative in these questions. There's almost an implication that if I don't have this in heaven, then heaven's going to be lacking. Heaven's going to be less than. And so we're kind of wondering, what's going to be there to make me happy? What's going to be there to make heaven special? And of course, there's a lot of things that the Bible talks about being in heaven. You know, the Bible says that in heaven there's going to be streets of what? Streets of gold in heaven. You know what, folks? Heaven's not about streets of gold. The Bible says in John 14 that Jesus is returned to heaven and that He is preparing a place for you. A very specific place with you in mind. Isn't that awesome? But heaven's not about that place. Heaven's not about that home that Jesus is making for you. Boy, the Bible talks about when we go to heaven, we're going to be reunited with family, with friends, with, with loved ones that have gone before us in Christ. Boy, that's exciting, isn't it? we got some great songs, got some great hymns about the gathering on the other side and that, that great reunion. You know, that brings us hope and comfort and encouragement here, but, but folks, heaven's not about that reunion. Heaven's not about that great gathering. You know what heaven's about? Heaven's about God. Jesus says here, eternal life is knowing God. Now right now, our knowledge of God, even as people who are saved, even as people who have the Scripture and the Holy Spirit to help us to understand that Scripture in in this fallen world and tainted by sin, we got a cloudy understanding of all that that means. But folks, in heaven, there is a beauty, there is a richness, there is a fullness and just knowing and relating with God, it'll be so satisfactory. It is beyond anything you've ever understood what being satisfied is. Beyond anything you've ever understood about what it means to be happy, to be fulfilled, to be enjoying, and it'll be inside of just knowing and relating with God. I'm not saying that's all we're going to do. We're going to live very in a very real and physical place. You know, sometimes we make heaven kind of smoky and foggy, don't we? Kind of, you can't really grasp anything. You float on clouds. The eh, Bible doesn't say anything like that. It's a very real, physical place where we'll live lives, very purposeful, directional lives. But that's not what heaven's about. It's about knowing God. And Jesus has the authority to provide that for you. And, and, and as he's thinking about that, as he's praying about that here, I think in verse 4, he begins to celebrate. He begins to get excited about that. And look what he says there. He says, I have glorified you on the earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, there's two things that stand out to me there. First of all, that phrase, by the work you gave me to do. Now, the Father and the Son, as well as the Holy Spirit, the Father and the Son are equal. They're equal in their existence They're equal in their glory. They're equal in their eternal nature. In every way, they're equal. But in the equality of this relationship, there are roles. And the Father holds the supreme role of glory. The Father holds the role of being able to give to the Son an assignment. To give to the Son a task. And the Son gladly submits. The son gladly receives that assignment and in his role, his pleasure, the pleasure of Christ is to obey his father. The pleasure of Christ is to fulfill the the assignment that the father has given him. And that assignment was to give you eternal life. And he says there, as as I think he's beginning to celebrate, he says, man, I have glorified you. I have completed the work. And I kind of scratch my head on that and say, now wait a minute, how can can Jesus say he's completed the work? I mean, I know he's within hours of completing it. He's going to do that on the cross the next day, right? And on the cross that Jesus says it is, it's finished. The assignment, the task you've given me, it's done. But it's not Friday. He's not on the cross. It's Thursday night and he's saying, I've completed it. I have finished the work. Folks, I think what we need to imagine there is Jesus. Of course, He's thinking on eternity. And He's thinking back to that place in eternity past where He and the Father came up with this plan and the Father gave Him this assignment. And Jesus faithfully carried that assignment through eternity past. Jesus faithfully carried this assignment into Bethlehem where He put on, took on humanity. Jesus faithfully carried this assignment all the way up to Thursday night. And now He's at this place where there is such an incredible resolve and commitment to go to the cross that it's as if it's done. There is such a commitment to getting there tomorrow that it's as if it's already completed. Nothing is going to stop Jesus from going to the cross. I mean, think about it. Remember when, when Jesus told Peter what was going to happen? And Peter said, man, we can fight this. We can keep this from happening. And sure enough, we get to the Garden of Gethsemane. What does Peter pick up? Picks up a sword. Man, we're going to fight this. We're going to keep it from happening. What does Jesus say? Put the sword down. We're not going to fight this. <laughs> if I was, do you think I'd need you? Come on, man, I can call legions of angels. Put the sword down. And then Jesus is in those trials. He's before before the high priest in a trial. He's before Pilate in another trial. Crazy, stupid, wild accusations flowing against Jesus. And, 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 And both of them ask, why don't you answer these accusations? Why don't you defend yourself? Why didn't he pick up a sword? Why didn't he defend himself? Because He's not trying to stop the cross. He's not trying to run from the cross. He's running to the cross. He is seizing the cross. Because at the cross, He will express His authority. At the cross, He will express the glory of His Father. At the cross, the power, the love, and the glory of the Godhead is going to be shown for everybody. Not, not just for those on Golgotha that day, but for all of human history. There's no loss at the cross. Victory and authority of God is expressed at the cross. Look at verse 5. Father, glorify me in Your presence with the glory I had with You before the world existed. I think Jesus is reminiscing here. I, I, I think He's thinking about the future and what is about to happen and He goes back to the past he is remembering all oh, the, the glory, the fullness of, remember, that relationship, just knowing and relating with God inside the Godhead, inside of eternity, the fullness of that moment. And he knows that he's going to return to that moment after the crucifixion and the resurrection. His satisfaction, his fullness to be in that moment. By the way, 17.5, that's, that's a good verse to kind of put a star there by. Now, every now and then you'll hear somebody say or, or, or suggest the idea that Jesus never claimed to be God. That, that the New Testament doesn't teach that Jesus is God. Now granted, you're hearing somebody that knows nothing about Christ. You're hearing somebody that clearly has not opened the Scriptures. There's multiple places that he does that and this is one of them. Folks, in that three lines, or at least in my Bible it's broken out in three lines, but in verse 5, Jesus is claiming coexistence with God, co-eternity with God, and clo- co-glory with God. He clearly claims to be God in verse 5. So a good one to memorize or put somewhere where you can remember if somebody says, well, I don't know if Jesus is really God or if He even said that He was. Ah, John 17, 5. Now folks, as we're looking here, we're looking at a prayer, right? You remember that? And we can look at this certainly with the idea that, hey, how do I need to pray? We can look at it even bigger than that because in prayer, we find our priorities. In prayer, we find what is important to us. And so we can learn from Christ, hey, what should be my priorities? What should be important to us? And as we watch Jesus pray, we learn about what's really big and what's really important. Now, over and over and over, the Scripture encourages you and I to come into God's presence. The same kind of presence and glory that the blood of Jesus Christ bought for us in verse 5. We get to go into that kind of presence. And we get to go into that presence and we get to talk with God about all the the things that are going on in our lives. But I think what Jesus is showing us in these first couple verses of this prayer is, don't get hung up on the answers. You know, folks, if you're praying about it, it's important to you, isn't it? If you're praying about it, it's a need. You're you're feeling a lack. You want help. You want provision. You need something. And it's important to you. And it is easy for you and I to get hung up on the answer. And pretty soon, we'll start defining life by the answer to this prayer. We'll define God by the answer to this prayer. And Jesus is saying, don't get hung up on the answer. Don't get hung up thinking life is about getting healed. Don't get hung up on on, on thinking that life is about getting the the provision for those bills. Don't get hung up on thinking that life is about God fixing your mate or your child or that person at work. Don't get hung up thinking it's about the promotion. Now, I'm not saying those, and I don't think that Jesus is saying that those things are irrelevant or unimportant. They're going to be one day, though. One day they will be. But right now, no, they're they're big and I've got preferences and I'm talking to God about those preferences. But Jesus says, don't get hung up in thinking that's all there is. Jesus is ready to take on the thing that he's ready, that he's getting ready to, to pray about, that he's getting ready to face the next day, because he realizes there's something bigger going on than this moment in the temporary. The bigger thing going on, folks, is the glory of God and the eternity of people. And so what happens now, I think what Jesus is showing us is, is maybe a new way to pray. How do I bring God, how do I bring eternity into the bill I need to pay this Thursday? That's what's big to me right now. That's what I got it this Thursday too. I don't need to pay it out in eternity. I need to pay it this Thursday. I think Jesus would say, go ahead and pray about that. But add God and eternity to that. And so what happens in my prayer life is now, okay, I've got this bill out here. God, I need to pay that bill. However I got to this problem, however I got to a lack of funds and the fear that I have about paying this bill, God, I need help here. But God, as I walk through this moment of trying to figure out this bill, I pray that I do it in a way that people see You. I pray that I do it in a way that people end up worshiping You so that they're prepared for what? Eternity. God, God, I've got this problem inside my family and as I or we deal with this problem, may we handle it. Now, God, I really want a problem. I mean, I really want an answer to this problem. But, but God, as I deal with it, May I, got, may I not get lost in just the temporariness of this moment. This moment can have an impact for God. This moment can have an impact on eternity. So God, may my faith, may my attitude, may, may how I approach this issue in our family, may I deal with that all in a way that you are seen and I end up worshiping you. The, the people in my family end up worshiping you. God, i got this awful situation going on at work. I really need you to fix that. I really need you to to show up there. But God, as I handle that this week, or as I handle that it looked like as long as I'm going to be working there, God, as I'm handling that, may I handle it in a way that the people at my work see you. And the people at work end up worshiping you. There's something bigger going on than just the temporary There's something bigger going on than just that answer that we're looking for. Folks, the big thing going on is God and eternity. And wisdom demands that we live in light of the future. Wisdom demands that we live in light of the the bigger thing. Don't get stuck on the not unimportant thing, not irrelevant thing, but the smaller thing. The smaller thing. Man, I think if we get nothing else From these first five verses of Jesus' prayer, it ought to be this. Pray all the things you would pray anyway. But ask yourself, God, as I pray this, how do I attach God to this? How do I deal with this so that you're seen? How do I attach eternity? God, show me what can be happening in this moment, in this situation, that can have an impact on eternity. And perhaps, like Christ, there'll be a great resolve there'll be a great commitment, a great ability to take on whatever life is bringing. Because we don't get stuck in the small. We don't get stuck in the temporary. We're able to take it on because everything you face, every relationship, every victory, every failure, and all the stuff in between, every bit of it is an opportunity for God to be seen. Every bit of it is an opportunity that can lead people to worshiping God. God, would you show me how to think like this? Would you show me how to attach God and eternity to my prayers? I want to pray like Jesus. I want to live like Jesus. Let's pray now. Father, we come before you in this moment. Lord, you know our frame. You know what we're made up of. And Lord, while eternity is out there, this world, this life still seems pretty big to us. 24 hour days, seven days a week, that, that still seems pretty big. I know God out in eternity, that's just going to be a blip. But, but right now it seems big. God, you know how easy it is, how tempting it is for me to get get caught up in what's going on right in this moment. Whether it be something I'm really excited about or something I'm really discouraged about. God, would you help me develop the mindset of Christ? Would you help me to begin looking at every? Every opportunity, every problem, every relationship, from the best ones to the worst ones. God, would you help me to look at every one of those things as an opportunity to live for you. As an opportunity to live in a way that that I see you and people around me see you. And God, I pray that I would realize that in everything I live this week, there absolutely is a chance For people to see you and prepare for an appointment that is coming in their life. There's a chance for people to prepare for an eternal heaven. To be rescued and saved from an eternal hell. My life, my relationships, my situations, my events. Every one of them can be used by you to do that. I want you and I want eternity to show up in my mind. I want you and eternity, God, to show up in how I pray. Help me to do that. It's in Jesus' name I ask this. Amen.